Well, again, it's so good to be with all of you here this morning. And as we uh, get started, I want to quickly remind you, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, and I apologize about that, but uh, we do have, if you want to follow along with our worship songs, as well as um, the sermon notes and passages, I encourage you to go uh, pull out your phone if you have the Bible app. Uh, go ahead and click the menu on the bottom right-hand corner when you open it up. Find the events tab, which is about seventh one on the left there when you open it up. Uh, and as you search it, you'll find our church's one. And it has, again, uh, has some pictures for part of the sermon. It has uh, different uh, worship song lyrics. It has uh, the Bible verses. And if you haven't used it yet or if you're still learning, uh, what's cool about it is that it also allows for you to take notes if you want and then email yourself those notes. And you can even save the event for future reference. Um, so anyways, just want to make sure you are all aware of that. Um, since that's a, that's a resource that we're trying to utilize, especially while we're outdoors. So with that said, uh, I'm going to ask that you uh, join me in a word of prayer as we get ready. I know if you are with us last week, uh, we had a lot of silence in our service. We took some time to do some Lectio Divina, some divine reading through Philippians 4. And um, it was just really encouraging to hear some of your words. You come up to me or you send an email saying, this was my word and this is why. And uh, just a beautiful moment. And so uh, we're not going to necessarily do that every single week. However, I would love for us to maybe just sit in a couple moments of silence here uh, before um, I pray uh, to open up our sermon. So just uh, let's take a couple moments, kind of let go of some of the uh, stressors, uh, anxious thoughts, frustrations, to-do lists, um, things coming up from the past week, things coming up from this coming week. Let's just take a couple of deep breaths and I will, uh, I'll pray for us in just a moment. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to meet with you and to meet with one another. Lord, I thank you that as we, for those of us who are outside, we're able to hear just birds chirping and, and just feel the wind blowing and just to be in your creation, Lord, and help us to slow down, to, to see what it is that you have for us this morning through your word. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, whether we're here in person or online. Lord, I pray that everyone who hears my voice knows, and by the end of the service will know to a greater degree how much they are loved by you. So we give you this time, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing our series called Some Assembly Required, looking at how to build up families. And I want to, you know, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter uh, 54, um, just for a couple verses here. But what I want to do is remind you that we've looked at this passage a little, or this series a little differently than, than a typical family series. We're, we're not looking at, here's how to be a great child, or here's how to be a great spouse, or here's how to be a great parent. Here's how to do these things. We're looking at our identity in God and how when our identity is found in God, and that will build up our households, that will build up our families, that will impact not just our lives, but the lives of those in our sphere of influence. And as we heard on the very first week of the series, the idea that family in the New Testament, in the Bible, did not just mean the people who lived inside your home and your immediate family. It expanded to your greater community. So how do we build up 
godly families, godly households. And, and if you've missed any of the sermons, you're welcome to, to check those out online at our website, palmerado.com slash messages. Also be able to find those on um, our podcast as well. But with that said, today we're going to do a sermon and we're going to talk through this idea of becoming the bride and talking about what it looks like to be the bride of Christ. In June of this year, uh, June 25th to be specific, um, my wife Stephanie, we will celebrate our 15 years of marriage, which is uh, super exciting. Yeah, thanks. Uh, You should mostly be clapping for her to be putting up with me this long. Um, But, you know, she's not here right now, so I will receive the clapping and I will give it to her. No. Um, But just being able to celebrate 15 years and recognizing that, you know, this may not be how it is for everyone. So I'm making maybe a generalization or maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. Um, I was involved in the wedding planning, but like not nearly to the degree that that Steph was, right? And so recognizing that she, her mom did a bunch of work, she did a bunch of work, and becoming a groom meant that I was, you know, I knew where to go and that I had to wear certain clothes and I got friends to get, like, it was not as intensive as becoming the bride because becoming the bride had a lot more to it. Now, I bring this up because, you know, Steph was a beautiful bride, still is my beautiful bride, and, and it was just a wonderful day. We got married on a Sunday morning, um, and we got married up in the Bay Area um, in Santa Clara, where we're both from. And right now, uh, some of you have the, the beautiful experience of being able to, like, go visit where you were married again, um, or maybe it's a, it's a meaningful place. Ours was a, a, an event place that is now a parking lot for a stadium, so it's just really meaningful um, for us. But... Just recognizing that, you know, the wedding was wonderful, but as we know, the wedding does not a healthy marriage make, right? Like we can have a great wedding day, but then there's so much that goes beyond just becoming a bride for one day or becoming a groom. It's, it's how to become and how to experience the kind of life, the kind of marriage that God designed marriage to be. And Here's something that I want to touch base on because this can create, this idea creates a little bit of a tension for many of us because maybe some of us are married or aren't married and we want to be. And so there's some tension there because, you know, we would love nothing more than to become a bride, but, but we haven't found that person or something didn't work out the way that we had hoped. And so there's, a, there's an ache there. Some of us are, are married, but we wouldn't say the marriage is, is happy right now. We would say that there's tension and that there are issues, that there's concerns. And, and what we thought we were committing to on our wedding day just looks so much more different weeks, months, or years later. For some of us, we've lost our spouse. And so there's great heartache there and great pain. And so you hear about the Bible talking about the bride of Christ or a marriage. And, and if nothing else, it just strikes a wound that, that's been there because of the, the pain of losing a loved one. Maybe for some of us, we are happily married and things are great and we love learning about it. But even if that's you, we, we ought to just continue to see what God would have for us through this passage because, or through this idea of what it means for all of us to become the bride. This is not a, a sermon for wives and moms. Because in God's word, it talks about how The people, God's people are his bride, that he, Jesus, is the groom and the church is the bride. So there are metaphors in the Bible that are a little bit harder for some of us to understand. So I, personally, as as a man, have a harder time of understanding what it means to become the bride because I've been a groom. 
right? I don't understand necessarily what it means to have my identity found in being the beloved of God. And next week, we're going to look at a different dynamic of how one of the uh, metaphors might be hard for us, uh, specifically for, for women to understand or, or to um, be able to take hold of their identity. So these last two weeks of our series are primarily focused on identity conversations of how we find our identity in being the beloved of God, who he is, and finding our hope, our life, our peace, our security, and again, our identity in who Jesus is, who God is. Because that's the only identity that can, as we talked about last week, that can withstand the storms, that can withstand uh, the rain coming down, the floods coming up, the wind battering the side when the torrent comes. How do we make sure that we are firmly founded in our identity in Christ? And so with all that said, we're going we're gonna to look at um, Isaiah 54, verses 4 through 5 to start off. And as we do that, or excuse me, verse 5 through 6. But as you do, I just want to mention uh, this week, some of, the, some of the quotations you're going to hear are from uh, a book that I've been reading. I've read it the second time the past month called Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen. Um, if you've not read it, uh, there's a lot of really powerful things. He originally wrote it to reach someone who didn't know Jesus and to help them understand how they are beloved of God. Um, and in that process, he found that it was actually very encouraging for people who know Jesus already as well to be reminded of their belovedness. So we'll, quote, we'll, we'll share some quotations from that and unpack some of his words there. But what I want to do is start off with Isaiah 54, verse uh, 5 and 6. It says this, verse 5, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. And we'll stop there for now because, again, as, as a man, when I think about, oh, your maker is your husband, there are times in which that's hard for me to fully grasp. Last week, Steph, uh, we were sitting around the table um, and we we're talking with the girls, and I don't even know how it came up, but we we're talking about, you know, the church being the bride of Christ. Oh, it was because uh, Shailen was like, so you, you and mommy won't be married in heaven? I was like, no, like there's no marriage in heaven. Um, but, you know, hopefully we'll be like neighbors or something, I hope. Um, but she's just saying, you know, like, so, because, you know, because Jesus will be the groom and, and we will be the bride. And so she's like, daddy, you're going to be a bride? I'm like, yeah. Like, that's weird for me to understand, to recognize what it looks like to become a bride. And by that, I, I, I mean to become the beloved of God. And so, we're going to unpack a few of these, and this is going to be, these are going to be some very basic, simple points, simple and, un, and to understand, but maybe difficult to live and, and identify with, um, knowing that it's easy for us to find our identity in so many different things. So looking at these three, uh, these two verses, starting in verse five, it says, for your maker is your husband. Just a quick reminder, God loves you. Like that's actually one of the fill-in points, if we had fill-ins here, is that God loves you. He sees you, and he loves you the way that a, that a husband loves and pursues his bride. That we can hear things like God loves you, and you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I know God loves you. In the same way that we can hear things that when you talk to people and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, great. You know, we don't even truly acknowledge sometimes how, how are you becomes a greeting rather than an actual question. 
God loves you can become a platitude or something that we hear so frequently that it goes in one ear and out the other. But God loves you. God loves you. If you if you were to say, if you were to just say, okay, God loves, and you fill in your name, and you say that to yourself, you remind yourself that. When you realize I am loved, that changes things. It gives us perspective. It reminds us that the Lord our God is our maker. And he's a husband who loves his bride. Now, for, for me, I, I've, I've knew and I've heard that God loved me for years. And, and it's still something I wrestle with because I don't know if you're like me. But I often think that in order for me to really be loved, to be the beloved, be loved, is I have to earn it. I have to do something to warrant that value. That love is not something that's intrinsically given to us because we have been created and formed by a loving father. It, it must be something that I work for, that I strive for, that I sweat for, that I bleed for, that I cry over, that I have to make happen. And so when that happens and when I try to strive for it and when I try to make it happen, because especially men and women, but as a man, for me, I feel like I have to work, I have to earn, I have to do, I have to produce. And so Women can feel that too, but for me, it's something that I just feel so deeply that I have to earn it. And so when I fail, not if I fail, but when, because we're all imperfect, we all need God's mercy and grace. When I fail, is my initial thought to remember that God loves me? Do I repeat I am loved by God or do I say, I can't believe I did that again? I can't believe I failed again. And then it leads to this idea of self-rejection. That in that passage, it talks about how a wife who's been deeply distressed and feels rejected. And how that's such a, such a painful place to be and that God calls us back from that. But Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says, self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. That our core truth is that we are the beloved of God. When I was at uh, Arrow Leadership uh, several years ago, and uh, we had one of those times where we had a quiet time and they gave us a specific passage and they had, you know, it was Romans 8, and they wanted us to work through that. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters uh, in the whole Bible. Um, and I love it because Romans 7 ends with this really down idea of, like, the, the good I do want to do, I do not do. But the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And it makes you feel like, yeah, you're right. Like, oh, how I keep doing that. And then Romans 8, verse 1 talks about, but therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of Romans 8 unpacks the identity we have in Christ and the love that God has for us. So I remember um, journaling through this passage. And this was probably, uh, let me think, this was about two months into my ministry here uh, after Steph and I moved down. And I remember journaling through it and wondering, like, Lord, would you love me? If I fail at this pastor thing, like this is something I felt you've called me for for 14 years. God, what if I'm utterly horrible at it? 
What, what, if I, what if I mess up? What if I make the wrong decisions? What if I do the wrong things? What if I make so many mistakes? What if I've uprooted my family from a place that they feel safe and, and known and we take them to a place where now they, we have to restart our lives? What if I fail? And I felt the Lord just encouraging me that says, listen, if you did nothing else in your life, I love you. That there's nothing I can do, nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. You can't earn it. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You can't lose it. So what we can do is rest in it, acknowledge it. And so at the end of that trip, uh, we, got, we each got a, a rock and we had to write down a word of something that you learned there. And so because I think I'm clever, um, I just wrote, like, what was your word? What did you learn? And I wrote, nothing. But I wrote it with the mindset and I held the rock up for a picture of myself that nothing I can do causes me to earn God's love. And if I did nothing else in my life, if I never produced, never earned, never worked, never did anything, if I did nothing else, I would still be the beloved of God. And I wish I could say that that was three years ago and it's just super easy for me to live that out all the time. But this is a constant struggle to fight against self-rejection because that takes away our identity, our core existence of being the beloved of God. That there is not one person on this earth that God did not form and does not create and does not love. That every person you lock eyes with is someone that God created, that Jesus died for, and that the Holy Spirit might use you to draw closer to him. Everyone has intrinsic value. Everyone is loved by God. So God loves you. If we had learned nothing else, if you walked away with a deeper understanding of that, then I would feel this like was a job well done, mission accomplished, good day at church. But there might be more and something else that we want to unpack. The second idea is that when in Isaiah 64, or excuse me, 54 says, the Lord Almighty is his name. The reminder here is that God doesn't just love you. He does, but God fights for you. The Lord Almighty is a term that is, a, it's the term that refers to a, a military idea of a general, a Lord of heavenly hosts, a, a Lord, a leader of armies, and that he fights for you. That the, 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 the battles we experience are battles in which we need to know that it's not against flesh and blood but against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that we need to put on the full armor of God every single day so that we know that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name and we can stand firm in his power. So he fights for you. That This is not a passive love that just kind of allows things to happen. He, no, he fights for us. And even when bad things do happen, he fights for us. And he does things that we don't even see because we don't always know what goes on in the spiritual realm and we don't always know what goes on behind the scenes, but he loves you and he fights for you. Because if you love someone, you would fight for them, right? That, that, that's indicative of the love that you have. If you just kind of gave up, then maybe the, the, the love isn't necessarily as deep as you think it is. But the Lord, your maker is, a, your, maker is your husband, so he loves you. The Lord 
of heavenly hosts or the Lord Almighty in some of your versions is, your, is his name. The number three, this idea that he redeems you, that the Lord is a redeemer. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. That to redeem something means to, to pay for something in order to, to redeem that purchase. And we see this in the story of Ruth uh, in the Old Testament where Boaz redeemed her to the family name by paying for property and taking her as his wife. That it's a payment for something. And so you have been redeemed. That there have been there's sin in all of our lives. And because God loves us and because he fights for us, he redeems us. And he did so through the sacrifice of Jesus. His, Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. So that when we look at our lives and we recognize that we deserve and through our own sinfulness and our own brokenness we are imperfect and there's no way that we could earn God's love and so Jesus gave it freely so that the payment has already passed the check for our salvation to prove the love that God has for us has already been cleared we are all when we receive this gift we are all able to receive our belovedness and to be able to enjoy the fact that we can't earn it and we can't lose it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. You can't earn it. You can't lose it because the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He's paid the price. He sent his son. Son Jesus raised from the dead. So you, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. So God loves us. God fights for us. God redeems us. And the last one is that God chooses you. And I know when I just recapped it, uh, God loves us. God, I used the, the first person plural, like us. But my hope is that this is something that does not go to us, that this is you, that God loves you. And you, whether you're here in person or online, you recognize you are loved. You recognize God fights for you. You recognize God redeemed you. And then lastly, you recognize that God chooses you. That the value that you have, having been redeemed, isn't based on what you can earn. And knowing that if you did nothing else, he still loves you. He chooses relationship with each and every one of us. That invitation is available. We see this in Isaiah 62 as they continue the, um, the metaphor of a bride and a husband. Verse 4 of Isaiah 62 says, No longer will they call you deserted, speaking to the people, or name your land desolate, but you will be called, sorry, I want to read the actual translation. You will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. When I was at that same era of leadership time, I, there was a, a woman there, um, and she shared that one of the difficult things for her was uh, she was about 40 years old and she had never been married. And so she just shared what was hard for her was just the feeling of, of not having been chosen by someone to spend their life with. And 
she was able to share kind of on the, the other side of that journey in the sense of being able to rejoice in the fact that God chose her. But there's this dynamic of being chosen, not feeling like you're leftovers, not feeling like it's just, oh, well, this is the best option I have. It's to be chosen by someone, but even more so to be chosen by God. There's a book that the girls uh, really enjoyed um, called The Green Ember, which our dog is named Ember, so they liked it enough that we named our dog after the title of this book. Um, And there's this beautiful scene here where there's a young buck, and I don't mean like in the generic term, they're they're all uh, rabbits, and so rabbits with swords. And so I didn't know that a male rabbit was a buck and a female uh, rabbit was a doe, so I learned so many things. And so this young buck... Uh, wants to, he wants to become a warrior, but he's spunky, and his name's Pickett, and he's just doesn't, you know, he's, he's angry because his family got taken away, and he wasn't able to fight them off, and so he has this chip on his shoulder, and he meets this other rabbit who's this grizzled warrior rabbit, which in and of itself is a beautiful oxymoron, but um, a warrior rabbit who's grizzled and fights, and, and Pickett goes to the rabbit named Helmer and wants to learn from him. And so Pickett tries to go up in all his spunk, and Helmer says, how many weapons do I have? And Pickett's like, two, because he sees, like, you know, a sword and a dagger. And what he ends up doing is uh, Helmer knocks him down, and as he's on the ground, he's like, everything's a weapon. Like, it's just very tough, and it's very fun. But after this moment, Pickett is bruised and battered, and, and he realizes that he knows nothing. And Helmer realizes that Pickett knows nothing. And as Pickett leaves the the training field discouraged, Helmer calls him back and he says, as Pickett wanted to be trained by him, he says, I accept you. I accept you as someone I will train. And it's this beautiful moment of recognizing that he didn't earn it. He couldn't do it on his own. In fact, he failed in every possible way. But the grizzled veteran, the the guy, the, the bunny, the Helmer says, I accept you. And it's an act of an invitation. But the beautiful thing to me, as encouraging as that is, as a younger man who who wants to feel acceptance, what's beautiful to me is how Pickett responds because he says, I am accepted. See, the invitation, I accept you, that's an invitation. Saying I am accepted is an acknowledgement of my identity changing to be founded in Christ. God chooses you because he loves you. He fights for you. He redeems you and he chooses you. But then we have to get to that point where we say, I am chosen. I am loved. I am fought for. I am redeemed. One is something, an invitation. The other is an acknowledgement of identity. So as we close, as we get ready to to kind of wrap things up, Henry now and again in that book says it this way when he talks about the importance of recognizing being chosen by God. He says, "The the great spiritual battle begins and never ends with the reclaiming of our chosenness. But if you think God just had extra clay uh, lying around and just thought he would create a person and there's no value in you and there's no uh, hope in you, there's no purpose for you, then you might say, okay, well, you know, I guess I'm just the leftovers. I don't know about you guys, 
I love eating leftovers. Not everyone does that, right? But if we just thought of ourselves as, you know, the wrapped up old food in like si- inside of a, um, a, a Tupperware that has no value, that gets left in the back of the fridge and gets forgotten, then we think, well, I don't have value. I'm not, I'm not chosen. For me, I'm like, what are the leftovers? Because I choose that because it's delicious. But I want to encourage you. You, whether you're here or online, you are not leftovers. You are loved. You are fought for. You are redeemed. You are chosen. That that woman who felt like I didn't know, it was pained to know that I hadn't been chosen by a man to be husband and wife. She, she is able to say, I have been chosen by God. And that marriage between the bride of Christ and Jesus as our groom, that marriage lasts for eternity. And there's nothing we could do to make him love us anymore. We can't earn it. There's nothing we could do to make him love us any less. We can't lose it. What we must do is accept it, receive it, and become the beloved bride because of it. Final thought is that Henry Nouwen says, becoming the beloved means letting that truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, or do. So when there are times this week, when there are times today when something doesn't go the way you want it to, when there are times this week today when you mess up, when there are things that happen this week or today when you feel forgotten or left over, I encourage you to say these four things, not because a pastor says it on a weekend, but because God's word says it and Jesus speaks it into our lives, both through his words and through his actions. And you say to yourself, put your name in the blank and say, So in my case, JP, you are loved. So you say to yourself, I am loved. I am fought for. I am redeemed. I am chosen. Because that's what a bride is. Loved, fought for, redeemed, chosen. It's hard for me because I want to be the one to show love, and I want to be the one who gives love. It's harder for me to receive it, amen? I want to be the one that pays the price. I don't want to be paid for, unless if it's free lunch. I'm the one that wants to choose others. I don't want to feel chosen because that makes me feel vulnerable because what if I'm not picked for the team? I want to fight. I don't always want to be fought for. So becoming the bride means that men, women, we all lay down that desire in ourselves to earn things. And we forsake the idea that we can lose God's love, but we accept it. And in so doing, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, that he paints this beautiful picture of a husband and wife. And then he says, here's the mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The mystery is that Christ is the groom who lays down his life for his bride, who washes the bride with the water of the word, who sacrifices and puts her needs above his own. And that's what he does for you and me when we recognize that we are loved, we are fought for, we are redeemed, and we are chosen. So remind yourself of that this week and see what it does for your heart and your soul to know that you are not leftovers, 
you are beloved. You were not forgotten. You are chosen. You were not a mistake. You are loved. You are not left in your brokenness. You have been redeemed. You don't have to fight. He's fought for you. And your identity, male and female, are, we are created in the image of God, so we are founded in our identity in Christ and his work alone. Dear God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for who you are, and I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your um, presence this morning, that as we try to earn our salvation or earn your love, some days we might run up to you and try to show you our good report cards. Look how well we've done, and we say, I love you. Other days we may shamefully try to hide our report cards and how we've done, and you say, I love you. Lord, I pray that our belovedness would soak into everything we say and we think and we do. Lord, rid us of the self-made concept that we can do this all on our own. And help us, help me to humbly receive belovedness, knowing that there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I could do to lose it. Because Jesus, you did everything to give it. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.